Welcome to another episode of the Dentology Podcast, where we discuss the business of dentistry. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing all the non-clinical aspects of dentistry, from goodwill values, finance, marketing, how to buy and sell a dental practice mindset, through to where you can invest your money in team management issues. My name is Andy Acton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Trevens. Let's jump straight into it. conversation with Nilish Palmer we had there. Oh, it's very interesting. Very, very interesting. Nice guy. Very nice nice guy. guy. I thought his, his take on the future of the profession in terms of are we heading down a path of specialists v generalists i think listeners will take a lot from that in terms of where things are going in the future yeah i think it was uh, uh, you know it's a one for people to think about mm. isn't it what is their future mm. and and i love the fact of uh, the education you know yeah well education it, impact and also how you know he's done a serious number of degrees but that one when he did his mba how that really kind of made him rethink Mm. himself how he works and the wider impact it had on me as well i think it's gonna be a, a, a really good one for people to take loads yeah of i think so as well so welcome to our latest episode of dentology the business of dentistry podcast and today we are absolutely delighted we have nilish palmer joining us and nilish is a partner at palmer dental he's an entrepreneur which we're going to talk about and a self-confessed petrol head mm-hmm. welcome nilish how are you doing i'm oh, very well thank you for having me on it's very no, good. not at all. Not in at all. Fact, in to... fact, such a petrol head, he's doing it from his car. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I, I, could, I couldn't not mention it, given that he made the effort to be in a car for us. It's the only so, place to get peace and quiet, you see. Exactly, exactly. So you're, you're a well-known figure in dentistry, and you, you share your exploits on, on social media, and we'll, we'll come to that a bit later on. But firstly, could you kind of just set the scene in terms of telling us about your childhood? And, and given that your father's a dentist, was there really any choice for you in terms of a <laughs> career path, or was that kind of pre-laid? So, um, yes, obviously my dad's a, a dentist. He's, a, a, I think, back then... The, a general dentist did everything. So he did surgery, he did sedation, um, still does a lot of orthodontics. Um, and I initially didn't want to become a dentist. It wasn't really on my radar. Um, I grew up in South End on sea, which is like a seaside town, which is now a, a city. Um, and I had a paper round on a Saturday morning, which my mother wasn't that happy about me doing because it meant getting up very early and walking around delivering newspapers. I think she thought I was going to get kidnapped or something like that. In, <laughs> in, in Indian mothers, if they watch a lot of, in, you get a lot of Indian um, serials, like TV serials, like EastEnders on Indian TV channels. And they're really dramatic and there's always dramatic music and there's always crazy stuff happening. So I think it kind of got into her head that, you know, somebody might kidnap me or something like that. So, um, this was this was South End Essex, yeah. This, this, was, this was South End Essex. <laughs> There's always a child very, being kidnapped very somewhere. Dangerous, yeah. Very dangerous, very dangerous. <laughs> so, um, my my father offered me a, a job in the surgery, which was basically like a dog's body, um, but it would be on a Saturday morning. Um, started at nine, finished at one, and um, I'd get five pounds, which was better than that. Mr. Patel was giving me three pounds seventy-five for my paper, and no Saturday. risk. No, no risk. And plus I'd get chauffeured there and back in my father's car. So it was a win-win. So I, I started doing that. And um, I was basically the shed boy to start with. And um, one of the nurses actually bought me a uh, keychain that said shed boy for Christmas one day because I hated being called shed boy. And uh, ironically, I might be buying the practice she works at, so I might become her boss now. So, <laughs> now how things turn around. All the have, way. You, have you still got the key ring? I have, actually. I have, <laughs> I have the key ring. Um, and um, I slowly started to work on reception. 
Um, and then I was running reception on my own on a Saturday. I did a bit of nursing. I was horrendous at nursing. I used to develop the x-rays when it was, you know, the developer and the fixer in like the horrible smelling dark room. I just kind of understood how a dental practice works. And I used to watch ER all the time. That was like my show. And um, there was uh, a cardiothoracic surgeon called Benton on there. And he was like the cool, moody guy, always used to get the girls. And I was like, I want to become a cardiothoracic surgeon. Obviously, that's how it is. That's what... When I started looking at what was involved, <laughs> I kind of had a second thought. And, um, and then I saw, you know, dad was working in the surgery. He was making decent money. People still called him doctor. So I just thought, you know what? Let's just do dentistry instead. Um, had a hard slog getting into dental school. I actually got in through clearing. Everything I did, I always sort of got in just by the skin of my teeth. It was never easy. I was never the sort of academic or the smart one. It was just through sheer working loads of hours. And then uh, managed That's really to get- nice to hear, though, Nidish. Just hearing you say that, we've spoken to lots of dentists mm. and, and like yeah. yourself, lots of high-profile guys. And we hear that story time and time again where people just scrape through, perhaps yeah, yeah. they failed some exams, they had to resit yeah. some stuff. And these are people who are now, you know, like yourself at the top end of the profession. And I think for people who are just coming in, when right. they look at you, it's almost like, well, how on earth did you get there? Yeah. But to hear that beginning where you kind of got in through clearing, I think that gives people real confidence that, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. You it's kind character of get, you get building a good well, time. Yeah. You have to try yeah. to, you have to achieve something, keep pushing. If it's always really easy, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Does it affect yeah. sometimes? I think that, you know, it's, it's good to sort of have to struggle, I think, sometimes. Yeah, definitely. And it was, I remember getting declined from every single university and then getting a, an interview from Queen Mary's um, because I had a strong recommendation letter. And, um, yeah, it was hard. The hard thing was trying to get, trying to do well in your A-levels, but knowing you hadn't already secured a place, whereas everybody else seemed to have their lives in order completely. And mm. you just thought mm. I was a bit discombobulated. Um but then at, at university, I, I never really enjoyed university. I never really enjoyed dentistry at university. I thought it was a very tedious, slow process. And I did think sometimes if I made the right decision, because this stuff sounds boring and awful and the patients were difficult, the equipment was difficult. It, it wasn't what I envisaged. Mm-hmm. Um, it was only once I qualified and I started doing dentistry on my own terms that I thought, you know what, it's actually all right. I'm quite getting a lot of job satisfaction from this. Um, and for me, the, the key moment was I applied to be a, <coughs> an SHO in MaxFax at my local teaching hospital in South End and presumed I would get it because I was a local boy, knew the local surgeons, etc. But I, I never got the job for some reason. But I managed to get an SHO rotational post at King's College London. Um, And I I worked for Martin Kelleher. Mm. And uh, he was the one who was really inspired me to go after some postgraduate education. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have done it. I would have gone back to general practice and plodded along and carried Mm. on. So I I think you need somebody to inspire you for something. Mm. I was going to say, I think you, it's interesting, isn't it? There's, There's quite often someone who has said something and sometimes they don't even know they've said that something, yeah. you know, they, they've done it in passing or in yeah. actions and it, it triggers or it sits and resonates with people to go, ah, you know, that's my mm. call to action really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was, it was a fun year. I actually learned that I like doing dentistry. I learned how to take teeth out, which was always a, a sort of weak point for me. And I, I wanted to do the implant master. So I, my first master's, 
were supposed to be my implant masters, applied to the Eastman, and they said, sorry, we're full. So I went back to Martin Keller and he said, look, you can either waste a year faffing around or just get, do something else, find another postgraduate program to do. So I went back to the Eastman and they said, the only one we've got unfilled is the MSc in prosthetic dentistry. So um, the reason why that was unfilled is it's the least sexiest postgraduate qualification you can do. <laughs> do it. So I, I signed up to do it and it was... 12 months of the hardest, most intensive work I've ever done in my life. But it was fantastic. It just changed your mindset. Um, and you worked more hours than you knew was possible. Um, and it was a great grounding for all the work I do now. Mm. And I think it's interesting you say about if you find something you enjoy. And I think most things in life, if you're doing something that you genuinely have a passion about, you don't really care so much about the time you're committing. It sounds like you're working through your initial, you know, dental degree when you kind of qualify from from Bath and London Dental School because you you qualified youngest in your class, didn't you? You were the youngest in your year. Yeah, I think I was one. I was 22, but I think I don't know if Milad singing dentist was younger or was there somebody? Actually, no, I think Milad is a year older than me. I'm not sure. I'll have to ask him. But definitely, I was one of the <laughs> youngest when I when I qualified. I was yeah, the baby. And it's just interesting to hear that, that 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 wasn't a particularly enjoyable experience. But then when you went on to do your MSc, suddenly you've you've found something that that you know you can really commit to, even though it's hard work. You're really yeah. committing to it. Yeah, it was. And then I think where where my career really came alive was um, I applied after that MSc to do another MSc in implant dentistry because that is what I wanted to do. I wanted to do it. I knew from my VT days that I wanted to do dental implant. Um, I don't know why, but it was just something that I thought was really cool. To me, it seemed like the cool part of dentistry. Everything else mm. seemed a bit not as cool, but implants seemed like the niche area. When, when was this, Nilesh? Because implants have kind of blown up in the last last few years. When, when, when were you doing your training? I completed my implant master's in 2009, I think oh, it was. Okay. Yeah. So 2007, 2009, and I didn't get in that Implant Masters Act, guys, they only take four people every two years. So it's a very difficult course to get onto because they provided the patients, which not many courses or hardly any courses do now. They want you to provide the patients from your general practice, get them to travel to the training center or the hospital and then do the implants on them. Whereas guys who provide you with the patients. Um, And I went for the interview didn't get the position i was fifth out of the four that they chose so did you say only four they only take on four every two years four candidates um and they must get what three thousand applicants or something like that um but the fourth guy cancelled or couldn't get a visa or there was some issue with him coming here to study so i got offered the place by default as i normally do i slid in again by default and that 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 program totally changed my life in terms of the work i do now i would never i would never be doing the work i do if i hadn't done that program and to me i know and obviously i i moderate one of the big dental forums um Mm. and there's all the discussion do you need postgraduate qualification except in my head i'm like if i didn't do those postgrads i would nowhere be the dentist or the rounded individual I feel like I am because it just gave me so much more. Um, and yes, you can learn from a course, you can learn from YouTube videos, whatever, but that being around other people in that teaching environment is something that was really, really beneficial for me. 
Mm. Wow. Yeah. And hearing you say that kind of you, you then start to do, you know, different levels and tiers of, of specialist training. Where dentistry is at now, do you think that if we kind of project forward into the future, is that where dentistry is going to end up? Where general dentists, which kind of offer a sort of a triage type service, and then there's going to be much more referral out and bringing in specialists for different types of dentistry. You're going back to what you were saying about your father, you know, your mm-hmm. father, your yes, orthodontics. Is, is that kind the- of traditional sort of dentist likely to be sort of phased out in the coming years? Yeah, you know, the problem we have now is. Um, and it's more i don't think it's due to a reduction in skill set it's a reduction in confidence and the fear of medical legal issues mm. so dentists will now refer molar endo to specialists because they don't feel proficient in molar endo but we were doing molar endo from day one and surprise surprise they all worked maybe they didn't look as good as if as a specialist ended on but i've seen molar endos that look horrendous and have been symptom free for 10, 15 years. So in my eyes, that's a, that's a success. Mm. Um, but I do think we're heading towards a medical um, GP sort of platform where the GP sees the patient, triages the patient, will deal with fairly straightforward issues. But if there's anything complicated, you'd be referred to a specialist or somebody who's an ENT or gastroenterologist or mm. cardiac or whatever. And I think dentists are going that way, which I think is a slight, is a shame um, because I don't like seeing dentists de-skilling because of fear. So dentists mm-hmm. who are too scared to take out wisdom teeth or molar teeth because they haven't done it in a long time, um, mm-hmm. I think it's a bit of a shame because we're going to lose a lot of skills. And also from an access to dentistry point of view, it's not necessarily always great for the patient that they might mm-hmm. get pushed from place to place. Yeah. If it's being driven from a medical legal point of view, that doesn't sound great. Well, that's what we hear, is the young dentists, they're, they're maybe not as swift and also they're really good at making notes. Uh, yeah. Offensive dentistry, mm-hmm. so as they're not going to get... Yeah, yeah, very, very, very much so. And and also, I f- and obviously, we've been trying to hire dentists for, for dentists for two sites now. And I'm struggling, or I was struggling, to hire who wants to work five days a week. It's as if yeah. the five-day-a-week dentist doesn't exist anymore. I used to do six days or seven days when I first qualified because I knew that to get the skill set, you had to churn the numbers. So you had to do mm. a thousand extractions before you got really slick at it. But now the dentists I interview want to do three days or mm. four that's days. What, that's what we hear. Yeah. Yeah, and particularly with some of the younger dentists who who have still yet to qualify, they they only want to do two or three clinical they days. Stress, yeah. hard work, yeah. and the, it's my went, yeah. mental, mental well being, isn't it? Mm. Exactly. And and then the other issues, I get young dentists say, I don't want to do any NHS dentistry. I say, Well, you've hardly done any dentistry at all. Um, we 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 all learn through doing NHS dentistry. It was good dentistry, but the um, repercussions and the issues were less than. If you are seeing a la-di-da fully private patient, the expectations are higher. But a lot of them are not as keen on doing um, bog standard NHS dentistry for five, six, seven years to learn their trade and mm. then level up to fully private. I find some who just want to come out of VT and just get a private job. And then what do they do? A lot of them won't take out a retained route, but then are happy to do Invisalign and bonding all day mm. long, which to me, is that proper dentistry or is that more cosmetic and, and nilesh why 
Why do you think they don't want to do NHS dentistry? Is it because of they've experienced it as VT and don't like it, some bad training or the the noise that's around NHS dentistry? Do you see, is there any way you can sort of put your finger on something that sort of says why they don't want to do it? So, number one, dentistry is not easy no, no matter what you're doing. I think um, for a lot of them, it's, it's also keeping up with the Joneses, you see, seeing, seeing what your friends are doing, if they're saying, well, I work in this fancy private practice in Harley Street, I see three patients a day, etc. Um, versus the NHS guy who's seen 20, 30 patients a day. Is the income higher on the NHS side or the private side? I don't know. It depends upon the individual. But I think it's almost become a dirty word for a new graduate to say that I work full time mm. NHS. Maybe they feel as if they've failed. Um, mm. Whereas if you look at lockdown, who were the who, which demographic of dentists was laughing throughout lockdown <laughs> it was the nhs associates yeah um my nhs associates were being paid full wage i wasn't getting paid anything i was sat at hmm. home counting my counting my potatoes they were getting paid full wage for not doing very much <laughs> so i i think it's all variable um but i think we're going to have a big problem in this country in dental recruitment hmm. um practice owners we just can't get dentists before hmm. we get eu dentists we can't get those anymore hmm. um so what do we do? How are we going to maintain our NHS contracts by if we don't have enough NHS dentists? We're all going to be giving money back um, mm. next year. Every NHS practice will be giving money back. Um, so what's going to happen to the profession if we just don't have enough NHS dentists to service the need? Um, I don't know. Mm. And need, need on, on the on the view of the of, of the the younger guys and, and mm. you're 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 well into this world yourself is some of it driven by social media now, lots yeah. of younger people these days spend time <laughs> so is that where they're seeing the the glossy glitzy arguably more sexy side of dentistry and that that's not nhs dentistry so do people see what's happening online and say well that's a bit of me i'd like <laughs> to move into that world mm. and that's not that's not nhs dentistry there's no one posting udas are there no, no uh, exactly. look at my uda <laughs> that i've just done <laughs> yeah, you're, 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 so what are they posting they're posting their bonding cases their before mm. and after cases um invisalign cases patients who are taking um, screenshots with or selfies with the dentist, all that sort of stuff, which is great. And it's great marketing, but you can't really do that in a full blown hardcore NHS practice. It, mm. it doesn't lend itself to that kind of marketing. Um, and social media does have that to blame, but you do find, and when, when I, when I give a lecture on um, my money lecture for, for dentists and I, work out their hourly rates doing Invisalign, doing crowns, doing implants. Um, they, if you ask a, a general associate and you go, what's your hourly rate? Last year, what was your hourly rate? They won't know. I've got a clue. You, they haven't got a clue. If you say, if that was your hourly rate, what was your hourly profit um, based upon, if you did, let's say, 10 Invisalign cases a month, what was your profit from that minus the Invisalign lab fee, the principles cut, etc.? And then, then they start one, They start realizing that, hang on a minute, I'm really pushing this form of treatment, but I should really be pushing this form of treatment because the return per hour is a lot greater. Mm. Um, that's how I've always looked at it. And for me, that's why my 
love of implants is even greater because I know that when I do the maths, my hourly return on implants supersedes everything. Uh, out of interest, mm. Nidge, when did you, mm. uh, did, did you always have that business brain analysis on profitability or was it, was there a moment when suddenly it sort of clicked and you thought, ah, okay, let me look at the return on what my investment in, or, or have you always sort of had that in, in your, your mindset? I think being Indian and being Gujarati, you always have that in the back of your head, right? I remember looking at what my dad would make on a Saturday morning and then comparing it to what he would make on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday when I used to work there. And I was like, Dad, you make more money on the Saturday than you did during the week. And he'd say, well, these are all my private patients on the Saturday and I book in the treatments I know um, will generate more revenue. So he kind of programmed me to think like that. Um, And the hourly rate, equation for self-employed professionals i think is really important and it's never mentioned in dental school but it's such a basic i mean what's interesting is we 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 quite often say you know we can talk to people about you know when they ring up want to know about evaluation or stuff they'll know everything about their practice you know they'll know uh you know lease terms my staff my contract my private fees whatever it is and as soon as you say um and do you know what your profit is they're like oh no idea really (laughs) and it's 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 that whole thing fact about the business do you really understand the business part of your business and as you say you're not no one's really ever taught it are they no no. dental school you're not taught anything and that's why a lot of the questions we get asked on the on the forums is with reference to money what do you do with your money you'd be surprised how what dentists do with their money um is is from a from a business or financial perspective is is can be quite scary sometimes hmm. yeah yeah just going back on to the the social media bit you 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 post a lot a lot, a lot of your professional work and obviously yeah. being big into implants you post kind of the before the middle and and the end it gets quite gory <laughs> i yeah. mean I, as, as a non-clinician very I, interesting though i find it fascinating um what's 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 the feedback you get from <laughs> other dentists and patients because i think showing that kind of real technical of what goes into it i'd hope there's renewed appreciation of the skill level involved but but also from, from a kind of a dentist and a patient point of view how, how do they react to those sorts of posts yeah so it's, it's a great observation that, that you've clocked it now i I am, when I was building up, so I have two social media accounts. I have one for my car and personal and one for the work one. And it's, they're not connected at all. Now the work one, when I just put general dental stuff on, the engagement was okay. But because my work was quite gory, I needed to look at myself and say, right, who am I trying to target with my social media? Am I trying to target patients or am I trying, trying to target other dentists to refer me work. Now, most of my patients are probably older in life because they're having implants so they've lost their teeth um, later on in life. Yes, you do get the exception, but generally they're 40, 50, 60, 70 are my patients, which are the ones that I like because those patients generally don't take out finance. They're, they can be quite loyal um, and they're not worried too much about the money side of things. It's more about the actual quality of the work and how you um, approach them. Now, if you're trying to, those patients, they're not the ones on TikTok or Instagram. The older demographic tend to use Facebook. They don't tend to use Instagram. And there's loads of research to support that. Mm. So I moved to showcasing surgical work 
because not many people show surgical work on social media, especially not in the UK. There's a few of us. There's about three or four surgeons who will do it. Um, a, it's fascinating. B, the engagement with dentists, dental students is very, very large because they don't get to see that sort mm. of work very often. Mm. And patients, um, they either say, Nilesh, I can't look at your stories. It's too much blood, but I do keep looking at it like a really perverse thing that I want to see it, but I hate you're, it. You're probably one of the, the only dentists where I get warnings about whether I want to look at the pictures. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Always comes, always comes up. Yes. Sensitive, sensitive nature, doesn't it, or something? Yeah, yeah exactly. So, uh, which reminds me, I need to post up a few cases this weekend. I've been a bit preoccupied lately. Um, and they do, they do like it, but not many of my patients tend to find me on Instagram. Some of the, the younger ones do, but not many of the, the older ones. So in that respect, I'm trying to develop referrals from dentists and you're trying to cement your position as an authority in the that you've decided to, to focus on. So it works very well for me in, in that respect. Plus with companies and doing some consultancy work, et cetera, um, you do need to have some form of online presence, which is well managed. It can't be a, a social media account where somebody else posts for you or you only post one or two things a month. It doesn't work like that. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. It's just like I say, just, I find it mm. when I look at it, I'm, I'm fascinated at what goes on. It's just interesting to it's, it's, how that, that's perceived by people. I find it's remarkable when you look, you know, you see those ones where you, people got manky old teeth and bits missing and stuff like that. And then, you know, yeah, okay, there's lots of drilling, big holes and lots of blood. And then the next one is this complete set of teeth. Mm. And you just think the, the poor person who really... Um, spent a lot of their life with with those bad teeth and their confidence. You know, it's oh. a real changing, isn't it? The way that they can. Oh, I think dentistry boost the confidence. I think, it's just. I think it is stunning. Especially the dentists stuff, yeah. do change people's lives, and I think from, yeah. from that, I think it's always sad when we teach people at the end of their career and they kind of lost sight of the impact that mm. they have on yeah, people, yeah. Um, which yeah. is which is amazing. So 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 just running through your career, we need to go back to school because you yeah. then went to Imperial College. And you did your MBA, um, so yep. you've now got um, yet another degree sitting in your pocket. Oh, flip. At, at dental school, there's a massive hole that business doesn't get discussed at all. And you were saying you do a finance lecture and talk people through kind of the profitability of dentistry in cases. It's that. It, I mean, doing an MBA is next level. That's that. That's kind of you know top of the tree. But, generally within within dentistry what's your take on the kind of the general understanding of business and, and should that feature in dental school and, and could it i'm just thinking how big nilish is all those mscs <laughs> and mba on it it's like oh just turn it over <laughs> have a look at the other side you'll be fine <laughs> that's, that's a running joke with a lot of my friends because my email, <laughs> they 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 take the mic they said you not put your 50 swimming certificate on there either so i was like <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, yeah. Um, and in before that, I, I did my orthodontic training. I did uh, the orthodontic training at Warwick. Um, I did the certificate in orthodontics. And then I decided that I didn't want to do orthodontics because, A, you had to treat kids, and, B, it just took forever to get anything done. <laughs> <laughs> Two I, great I, I reasons. <laughs> I, I was trying to follow in my father's footsteps being orthodontist, but I was like, Dad, sorry, I just can't do it. I just need to do that. Um, so the, the general training... The one thing you've got to look at is, let's say you qualify as a dentist, you buy a practice, and your practice goes up to five chairs. Before soon, that business could be turning over in excess of a million pounds a year. Right? But you've had no formal um, training in anything in terms of what to do with money. You don't know 
profit and loss. You don't know what an ISA is. You've got no idea. So I think during the VT year, I know they do get a lecture from an accountant, but I think there should be some more financial resources by trusted individuals um, for dentists to learn what to do with their money because many of them don't know. And it's definitely not something that's taught at all. And it's also not taught in a way where how do you speak to patients about how much treatment will cost if you bring it down yeah. to fundamentals. So as, as implant surgeons, our treatment plans can be, you know, um, five figures, maybe six figures once, um, once in a career, maybe it depends. Um, but let's say you're going to say to a patient, this treatment is going to cost you 20,000 pounds. Mm. If you're shy in telling a patient the crown will cost 900 pounds, how are you going to negotiate or, or tackle that and say to them, look, what I'm yeah, going to do 20 grand. And there's a way to present that information. And some patients, some dentists are amazing at it. And some dentists will sort of put their head down and go, it'll cost 20, 20, like they, mm. they punch them in the eye and say it, or they'll, they will um, delegate that task to the treatment coordinator or the nurse, et cetera, which I, which I hate. It needs to come from the person who's going to be doing the job. Mm. Um, and that's a skill set which we don't learn. It's something or we don't learn at dental. It's something that needs to be developed. Now, the, mm. the MBA kind of came about because I wanted to do some form of formal business training um, mm. because I kind of, I felt like I had this entrepreneurial racehorse in me, which was kind of held back because I didn't quite know how to apply that energy. I didn't know what to do with it. And the um, Imperial College MBA, I rocked up thinking, you know, I've already done three, four degrees. This will be easy. And just got my backside. <laughs> I had no clue what that everyone was financial background. There was an architect. There was, you know, there was all sorts. And um, there was two dentists. There was me and Seema Sharma. Oh, right. yeah. uh, okay. I didn't realize you were in the same cohort. We're in the same cohort. And Seema, who's a much more intelligent woman than I am. She was... <laughs> She, she flew. She right? said that as well. <laughs> right. <laughs> she, she's a very, very intelligent woman. So she did very, very, and I, I found it quite tricky. So I found corporate finance. So we have different modules. I found the accountancy module, the corporate finance module. I found that really difficult. But what I found really interesting and really easy was the marketing modules, the negotiation modules, the entrepreneurial bits were really, really fascinating. And our project won a national award um, that we submitted to the university. And we actually had real life angel investors who were interested in our little product that we'd come oh, up with. Yeah. Uh, and it was nice because it kind of made you think that, right, you do your dentistry, but your dentistry is a tiny little part of everything else that's going on. Because as dentists, sometimes we just become obsessed with what we think what we do is the most important thing. And it gives you that important reset. But it, it gave me that that understanding that in the wider world, if you have a good idea and you know how to apply yourself, you can turn that into a successful idea. And it kind of led me to moving out to a few little things. So we had the racing car team, we had the consultancy business, we had a few other bits and bobs that sort of developed from it. Um, and yeah, it changed how I ran the dental practice. It changed how I ran my personal finances, but it also changed my, um, personal and work relationships because how you dealt with people changed because mm. you learned how to negotiate and you learn how to put yourself in somebody else's position 
and to try and use that to get what you want out of the situation. It was a really fascinating uh, couple of years doing it. Really, mm. really. Mm. And like I said, I think generally that's that's missing so much in in dental school. And I suppose from a patient, you know, t- taking myself as a patient. I don't. I want a good clinician to come out of dental school. I don't really need them to understand mm. business. But from yeah. the dentist's point of view, even as an associate, you're a self-employed business person. So you need to understand yeah, how to manage your money. You need to understand. Well, that first know, year paying it. tax. Remember, yeah. you know, the number of people who forget when they become an associate, they got to pay tax. They buy a nice car, buy a Porsche, and they go, "Oh, damn, I've got to pay tax now." Yes, yeah. and that's just because it's not mm. not taught. Yeah, it's, it's a shame. It's a real shame. Yeah. But those, but those, but those other byproducts, things like you know, negotiating, managing people, you know, those are those are great transferable skills that people need, Definitely. regardless of what they do. It's, it's it's funny you talk about buying the Porsche. That's exactly what I did when I qualified. Was was buy nine eleven after, I think, six months into my VT, I'd managed to cobble together the money to buy uh, to buy nine eleven, which was hilarious. Um, yeah, great fun though. Waste of money, but great fun. Back yeah. <laughs> we we do this seminar, Nilesh, where we talk about um, we talk about you know your earning money, and we said, yeah, what happens is that um, what we find is a lot of dent- dentists go and buy a Porsche. That's the first thing they do, and um, we we always notice that someone's hand then comes onto the desk and takes their Porsche keyring off, the desk, <laughs> puts it in their pocket. Says, oh, so you bought a Porsche? <laughs> yeah, you were the one. You were the one. You're 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 clearly a. a you know, a committed and, and busy dentist, but but away from dentistry, what's the what's the one activity that makes you happiest? <laughs> um, for me, you know, and it's coming up to that time that I'm going to start doing these bits and bobs. It was always motor racing, uh, watching motor racing or racing myself, and also I'm I've I'm part of a few car clubs, and every summer we'll drive around Europe. Um, I'll have one tour, which is more of an argy-bargy kind of partying, going to major cities and partying all night tours, like Gumball, etc. So is that the Gumball Rally you're on? That's the Gumball Rally. And, um, and then the other one is a more gentlemanly tour, um, where we would actually go into the mountains of wherever and um, stay in nice hotels, have nice meals, but then really drive the cars through some of the most beautiful and picturesque scenery you've ever seen in life. And that that kind of week off doing that is what used to keep me sane. I, I used to reset during that time and um, it was very, very important to me. So um, yeah, every year I do at least one of those trips. Oh, sounds good. Sounds good. Brilliant. And what, what does success look like for you? If you had to capture what success looks like? You know, if you asked me 10 years ago, it would be having lots of shiny things and a healthy bank account with a, clear balance from the hmrc probably um <laughs> now now you know as as you kind of get a bit older um to me it's health more than anything um not just mine but my friends and my family um and understanding i think one of the things that i found really hard to develop was understanding what made me happy because <laughs> i spent if i went to university five times and it, I f- kind of forgot what made me happy because my life was studying. It was work or studying. It was work. There was nothing else in between. And you sacrificed friendships, relationships, everything. Um, and then I realized that what makes me happy is A, carrying out good quality work 
And so today I saw a patient where I did a front tooth implant uh, 14 years ago, 13, 14 years ago. A, it makes me wow. feel old, but B, the bone levels and everything are still really, really good. And that's not me. That's his biology. But I get a lot of satisfaction from that because mm -hmm. it's nice to know that the work you did actually stands for something. It actually yeah. lasts. Mm. Um, so that that makes me happy, having the confidence in what you do. Um, but also now it's probably just spending time with friends and family more than anything and seeing mm. them develop and them be happy in what they do. I think the money side of things, it it does let you buy the shiny things that make you smile, but it's the experiences, it's the traveling and, um, yeah. and the food and, you know, having jokes and telling stories. And that's kind of where I'm getting to now. I'm getting a bit older and getting more gray hair. That's kind of where, <laughs> where I'm going. You know? A bit more philosophical. This, this is the wise old Nilesh talking, yeah. isn't it? It's the wise old Nilesh. But, if, but the, one of the best feelings I had was, um, is overtaking somebody on a racetrack. That yeah. is one of the best feelings. There's nothing better then lining somebody up, pulling out, getting getting the run on them, overtaking them and breaking into that corner. And then at the end of the race, going up to them and going, oh, that was a good move I did on you. Yeah, yeah, I, I took you there, did I? Yeah. That, that to me makes me really happy. <laughs> it's good to have a fun side to life as well, isn't it? Especially in a exactly. fast car. Yeah. Exactly. We um, we always wrap up, Nedish, asking our guests the, the same two questions. Um mm. The first one is, if you could be a fly on the wall in a situation, is there a scenario that you'd like to be sitting there looking in on and, and seeing how it plays out? Yeah, so, um, oh, something's buzzing. Um, I was, you know, part of me said I'd, I'd want to know what Putin's reason were, reasons were for really invading Ukraine. That would be quite nice mm. to know, be a fly on the wall there, right? Um, I, I think I would really like to learn more Um about the royal family to be honest i'd love to be on a fly in the wall in buckingham palace and just and just see what the queen does i'm i'm a i'm a big supporter of the queen i'd, I'd like to hear what she's like behind closed doors you know you never oh, get that okay. access so interesting that, that that would be quite interesting to see what she was like it would be wouldn't it because we see so much of her but it's yeah. always the bit that they want to show us yeah, we're allowed she's on, to yeah, see, well, she's yeah. on public display isn't she but yeah when she's exactly. in a private room on her own huh? what's she really like who knows? Who knows? Maybe she listens to this podcast in her private time. Yeah, don't yeah. I don't know. In a quiet moment, sit there, get a kick <laughs> out, cup of tea, bit of dentology. Yeah, with a cigarette. <laughs> 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 and then our, our last question is, if you could meet somebody, who would you, who would you like to meet? If you could sit down and have a glass of wine or a, a dinner with them. Fact it or is. fiction, living or dead? Oh, I, I didn't realise it was fiction. Um, so, fact, um, it would have to be Ayrton Senna. For me ah, okay, um, yeah. I, I would love to meet Ayrton Senna and just spend a meal just talk because I think he was one of the most romantic um insightful Formula One drivers we've ever had and even now I always use his quotes in everything I I do um and in my surgery I've got that Ayrton Senna um print above my desk which some patients clock and some patients just think this guy's a weirdo he's just got like a man in a helmet above his desk um but to me it would have to be um Ayrton Senna if it was a fiction character being a big sci-fi um nerd and a big sci-fi geek for me it would have to be um it'd have to be Captain Kirk to be honest oh it'd I was gonna to say be, it's gotta be Star Trek isn't it the yeah, original it's gotta be Star Andy, Trek Andy complete 
yeah, I, I, I have zero interest in sci-fi. Chris, Chris could have almost seen me like falling off my perch at this point. Yeah, no, that was um, that was uh, William Shatner, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. original, the yeah. original, yeah. original, really almost original. The sci-fi in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That 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 would be it for me. I think I, I think I'd, I'd really like to have a chat with him. I think that'd be quite interesting. Brilliant. Well, Nilish, it's been uh, it's been wonderful. It's been lovely to chat. Thank you for making the time. Yeah, I know thank you're a busy you. guy. I'm My sure you've got another degree that you need to nip off and do this afternoon somewhere. <laughs> but no, it's been, it's been fabulous. We really appreciate your time and we'll catch up soon. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks, Nilish. Cheers. Cheers, man. Dada. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dentology, where we discuss the business of dentistry. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe where you found this episode. That would be amazing. And also follow us on Instagram.